Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we have a special episode. This is episode number 100. 100 episodes of uh, God is Open. This is uh, once every week, so once every seven days. So we've been doing this podcast for about 700 days, which is pretty impressive if you think about it. It's a lot of time that I've put into this podcast. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope uh, you're getting things out of this more so than you'd get out of the articles. Some, sometimes the podcasts just go over a single article and an entire podcast 30 minutes would be covering maybe a 600 word article. So hopefully this format is informative. Hopefully it's easy to consume and provides you guys some value. We have come a long way in this time. If you listen to the very early episodes, the audio quality, of course, was a lot worse back then. Since then, I've learned a lot about sound recording, how to uh, muffle these outside hums and sounds, and I think that's improved on a pretty good scale. I hope you agree with that. We've also started the video format, which some people find it easier to consume the podcast on YouTube. So we got split listeners between YouTube and uh, SoundCloud or iTunes or wherever you consume the podcast from. So a lot, a lot of different ways to view, listen to the podcast. Of course, it's always put on the God is Open blog, which I hope you're following that blog daily as well. We're dealing with, uh, of course, one of the best projects we have going is the quick reference proof text, where, which goes over, um, we're slowly adding more and more verses to this list, but it means to be a quick reference where you someone could throw out a proof text, maybe a Calvinist you're debating with, and they'll say, oh, I got this verse. And you could just quickly go there, skim a response, and be able to easily reference and refute that. So what it does is it cuts down on a lot of, a lot of proof texting where people try to pull verses out of context. And uh, they try to divorce it from its context and assign new meanings. Or then they try to shotgun proof text at you. They just throw out like 20 proof text at you. And all, all you have to do is say, well, here's all the responses right there. Now let's you and me one-on-one deal with one of those verses. Because uh, what, the way you're taking these verses is it's not, it's not good. And you're shotgun proof texting. That's not valid either. There's responses. There, there's rebuttals to all your verses. So it's a nice uh, little categorization we got going on. We got Apologetics Thursday, where we respond to critics of open theism, usually. And, uh, you know, that's going pretty well. We've covered a lot of the main articles that are out there, uh, closing the door on open theism. There's actually a sermon floating out there called Closing the Door on Open Theism, which some guy actually wrote against me. So that's going to have to be its own special project. I got special plans for a response to that sermon against me. I'm, I'm honored, flattered. Someone would take the time to write a sermon against me. So it's good. It's good. Of course, we got a lot more plans as well. My wife's like, how do you always find things to do uh, podcasts on? I'm like, well, there's a ton of stuff. There's a ton of stuff. We've uh, invited uh, Yale scholar Christine Hayes on the program. She's responded, showing interest. And so we'll have to set up time for that. We have a podcast on presentism that I'm planning, a podcast on Job. And of course, a lot of these podcasts I leave at like part one and we need to come back and do another part two. And especially, especially since those earlier podcasts, a lot of them were done with with those background audio where it, it wasn't the best audio. There, there could be more fluid speech and they could be more energetic on my part. And I admit that, I admit that I might not be the best speaker, but some of those we have to redo. We have to 
get back there, redigest the material, make it easier to consume, that flowing a lot better. And so be expecting that as well. Some of these older podcasts will have to be remade, buffed up, made a little bit more accessible to the general public. So you don't have to, you know, suffer through me as bad as before. <laughs> so we got the new book out, God is Open, examining the open theism of the biblical authors. I really need to invest my time in making something a little bit more digestible for the normal public. This one's a pretty thick book, a lot of deep information, and some people get lost in the first chapter or two, just trying to understand the premise of the book, the way the book is addressing the rest of the book. Once they get to the Bible verses, it flows a lot easier because it comes more natural. Open theism is just a face value reading of the text. So now let's quickly talk about our plans for the future. Our plans, of course, is to continue expanding this verse quick reference guide. And hopefully we could turn that maybe into a book at some point so that people could have something physical that they could flip between. Now, once we get a certain number of words or a certain number of verses, hit all the main verses at least, there's a lot of verses that are still left to be added to this quick reference. And I was just going through it just the other day, pulling out a ton of verses. Like, I haven't, I haven't talked about this verse yet. It's not added to, to the index. Oh, man. So it, it could be expanded. If you want to submit... Uh, your own takes on verses. If you want to help add to this index, I am inviting submissions as submit to me and we will get this expanded as fast as we can to make it as useful as possible. And hopefully turn that into a book, the same same line of books as the God is Open. You know, I, I did actually apply for one of those trademarks on God is Open. And from what I tell, it is approved. And that just stops people from from latching on and stealing your name. Because in the in U.S. law, how it works is whoever jumps on a trademark name could just force out of uh, the business anyone else who is using that that name before the trademark. It's not like copyright where where if you come up with the idea first or patent law where you come up with the idea and then there's a patent that's later put out that you could say, no, I had priority. And I think the patent office is changing to the new system too, where it's whoever patents the idea first, whoever trademarks the name first gets exclusive rights. And so we are not in danger of having that snatched away from us now. So that, that ensures free access to use the God is Open uh, trademark and allow us to collaborate. So submit articles, uh, I'll host articles. If you even want to record podcasts, I will host your podcast. I, I will I will put them on the SoundCloud in my actual podcast playlist. So you could submit your own podcast that I'm not even involved with. I don't have to be the host of this. We could collaborate. I'm open to that. And uh, that's, that's the goal of this program, being open, uh, promoting collaboration, getting people to work together. And hopefully I can do that. Thomas J. Ord has done a lot of stuff in conjunction with us and this webpage. And I appreciate that because he's coming from a different perspective. He's coming from more of a philosophical background towards open theism. And we could work together and we have a lot of commonalities and uh, we could understand how each other thinks and work together for a common goal, even though we might have a little bit of different ways that we take things. And, th and that's what open theism should be. It shouldn't be this exclusivism where it's like, oh, you don't believe this one thing that I believe? Uh, like, I don't know, should I pick on something in particular? Maybe like the moral government people, like if you don't believe in moral government, ah, oh, you're terrible. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You might be a moral government guy 
And uh, I might be, maybe convince me, and maybe I might be a moral government guy too, but it's, it's, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Your particular views of how the atonement works, it's not worth a fight. Who cares? It's just like, what's the mechanism? You know, I've talked about this before. Like if you're in an airplane and you're all flying on an airplane together and, and one guy's like, I think this is a nuclear powered airplane. Another guy's like, I think this is a steam powered airplane. And then they get in this big debate. Oh, you're a heretic because you think all the gears are steam powered. And like, who cares? It's, that's, that's not a critical thing. What, what is critical is who is God? Who is Yahweh? Who is the creator? And that should be what we rally around. Who is this creator of the universe? That should be our core concern. Flipping to our podcast list, we've had a lot of good podcasts over you know, years now. I don't know, maybe like years, almost two years. A lot of good podcasts. I'd have to say my particular favorite one is my round one podcast. And we got it right there, episode 181, debate round one. It's a hypothetical round one if I was debating like a Calvinist or a negative theologian. And what I do with this podcast is it's great. It's like I'll be conversing with with a Calvinist or something, and they'll say, oh, we should debate. I'm like, excellent. I, I've already got a round one. Listen to this podcast. Respond to this podcast. If you give me a response, I'll post it. I will post your response uh, unedited. I won't edit your podcast, your, your response. But then I, I could, of course, I could post a follow-up to that in which I, I you know, splice it up like I do when, when you do those responses where you hear them say something and you can respond in the moment. I kind of like that format better than like a debate format where one side gets five minutes and another side gets five minutes because you're dealing with each point as they come. So people can't shotgun you. The shotgunning technique is when you just try to overwhelm your opponent throughout so much things that they can respond to that and they can't respond to all of it because time doesn't allow. And that, that quick response format really cuts down on that shotgunning. That debate round one, I think, is very useful because it's very consolidated, concise, and it uh, talks about some key issues, key issues that that normal Calvinists might not consider. And if when they hear the podcast and they're confronted with these new ideas, they don't know how to take it. It's it's disturbing to their outlook on the world. It's 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 a system shock per se. It's pretty good. Another episode I really enjoy, I think should be highlighted, is episode 191, No Virginia, God Does Not Control the Weather, 191. And I put a lot of production time into this, especially in the YouTube version. So if you go to YouTube and you watch it on the screen, I put a lot of, this is a conversation between myself and Joe Sabo. And there's a lot of clips and images and, and just things to like, like make it pop, make, make it interesting. Because I, I think this is pretty useful because there's not very much stuff out there. There's not very much Christian defenses, responses to God controlling the weather besides the fatalistic out, outlook where God controls everything. Yes, God made the hurricane because he's punishing homosexuals in Galveston in uh, 1800. I don't think so. But, but so it's, it's useful that that's out there. It, it serves a particular focus and so try to share some of these videos too so sharing these videos get, gets them more views pulls them higher on the google rankings and so when people google does god control the weather we'd like to have some sort of open theist response out there rather than your just classical predetermination texts so share and share away that's always good now we're going to flip down to episode 181 
Dov Weiss. I really enjoy this one. He takes us through Jewish history, Jewish thought, and he 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 lays to rest some misnomers. Like if you read read some uh, anti-open theist texts, like like Piper's book, Beyond the Bounds, and they talk. They have a whole section about Judaism and where they're claiming Judaism is is all about this this uh, like this this God that they're trying to create and and not to get not for open theism and the predestination and stuff like that. And Dove White puts that to rest. He says, no, this is not typically how they thought that those thoughts were in reaction to maybe Christian thoughts. Those are late thoughts. And there's this huge current in Jewish thought in which God doesn't control everything. God learns. People can confront God and God responds to their petitions. And there's this entire open theist line of Jewish thought that we, we should actually pay attention to. It's pretty interesting. Another one I'd like to highlight I particularly like is omniscience in the ancient world. What did the ancient world think about omniscience as it relates to their deities? What kind of texts do they have? What kind of language do they employ? And what that does is it gives us kind of a sense of of what kind of religious thought was available to the ancient Israelites, their their counterparts, and other religions. And it teaches us, it, it gives us some sort of reference so that we have a basis to understand the language of the Bible, so that we aren't imposing our own thoughts and ideas and philosophy on statements and phrases, which we would never take that way if it's in some other text. So that's very important. It's very important to understand how the ancient world saw and viewed omniscience, the mechanics of omniscience, because it wasn't this perfect actuality, simplicity equal to God's essence. That is literally the the traditional classical definition of omniscience, this act of omniscience in which can never be passively received. And there's no culture, no culture before Plato, the Neoplatonists, who actually believed that type of omniscience. It didn't exist. Scrolling down, a very important one is Augustine, Conversions to Confessions. And look at that. In this uh, view, it has 503 plays. So this is a pretty popular one. Uh, the plays, I think, on SoundCloud don't register all the plays. I don't think it, it doesn't, of course, of take into consideration the YouTube plays. But I don't know how it's counted if it's pulling off of the the iTunes plays and there's some other podcast streaming services that, that link directly to SoundCloud. So I don't know if these are direct SoundCloud listens exactly or what. I don't know where my numbers are at, but it's pretty popular. It's pretty good. And it just talks about Augustine or Augustine, however you want to say that. I, I noticed that Leighton Flowers says Augustine rather than Augustine, which I thought was interesting. And he's a pretty scholarly guy. I like him. But anyways, this is a good one because it, it pulls out audio from Conversions to Confessions, which I suggest as a book for anyone who's interested in Augustine and his development and uh, and just the way he approached Christianity and his Platonistic influences. This is the book to get. And uh, very important, post that to your friends when they're talking about Augustine and his influences and just the ancient world in general. How did they think? What categories did they think in? Is it equivalent to the way we think today or not. Scrolling down, Israelite religion, episode 118. What did ancient Israel think about God? What did they think about his characteristics and uh, his omniscience? And a particular focus are not the positive statements about God throughout the Bible, but what did the core Israelites believe? The people who didn't quite accept Yahweh, 
what were the prophets? What were they dealing with? And that way, that way we're, we can understand if, if you're going to counter someone, you've got to counter them accurately. You've got to counter them in a method that actually, actually replies to their beliefs about Yahweh. If they think that Yahweh can't see the hem, them, what would a normal Calvinist today respond? Oh, yes, he's got omniscience. It's, it's part of his inherent attributes, and he's all-seeing, and everything's known from all eternity. That's, that's not how the ancient Israelite prophets, it's not how they responded. They responded actually pretty particularly, God can see you. God can see. Of course, we got episode 115, Psalms 139. Psalms 139 Every Calvinist, that's where they turn to almost first. You know, that's either the Isaiah. And we got an episode on 2nd Isaiah. When we talk about 2nd Isaiah, we're talking about Isaiah 42 through roughly 48 or 52 or 53. Just that 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 section of text. So we got podcasts specifically about their primary proof text. And 139, uh, Psalms 139, that is actually a pretty good podcast. I don't think I've got any real... Calvinistic responses to it. They, they can't argue with the material being presented, especially in light of how David talks. He talks about God having to test him to know him. It's not, it's not an advocacy of, of eternal foreknowledge of all things. And, and John Calvin doesn't take the critical text about knowing all King David's days. He doesn't take that in a Calvinistic way. John Calvin does it. And it's funny. And Calvinists hate it. They hate John Calvin's take on Psalms 139, where it's actually about fetology, David's development in the womb. And so that's a good podcast. I would uh, highly recommend listening to that if you haven't. Of course, episode 111, 111, Exodus 32. Exodus 32 is the open theist's best proof text. And so if anyone is trying to argue with open theists and they're allowing you to pick the verses and chapters that you go over, Exodus 32 is your best friend because not only does it describe God repenting in response to Moses' arguments, but there are several commentaries on this throughout the Bible, all echoing the same themes. They all read it by its face value. It was never in this Calvinistic, oh, this wasn't a real conversation. Oh, this was for Moses' benefit. You know, Moses was needed to learn and, and Israel didn't repent and God repented for his own name's sake. And that's funny. It's funny. It wasn't because you know, some some other reason. It wasn't because the people repented. It wasn't because he's trying to teach Moses. He repented because of the arguments made to him, convinced him to act to salvage his his perspective in the pagan nations. The pagan nations might look down on him if he acted in a certain way. And that's funny because the Calvinists say, God can't get anything from man. God is totally aloof and man can't give God anything. But But then we find... Then we find God in the Bible acting for his PR, his, his public relations, for his perception of pagan peoples who don't even believe in him, who, who don't worship him as God. And he wants to act so that his name's not profaned among those people. So what are you talking about? God can't get anything in any sense because he's eternally immutable and incomprehensible and, and nothing can be given to give him more glory than he already... No, nothing like that. That's not the Bible. It's not the Bible. Exodus 32. I love the podcast. I'd listen to it. I'd listen to my own podcast if if I wasn't 
the actual author of these podcasts. I'd sit down and listen. I'd be like, wow, those are good podcasts. Sometimes you do that if you're like a writer or something. You're going over your old work and you're like, I'm sort of some sort of genius or something. No. Yeah, I'm sure you get that too. Like if you go over your own like playlist of music and you're like, wow, I'm some sort of musical genius. It works. I like it. It's good. Of course, there's episode 130, Sanders on Prophecy and Cognitive Linguistics. And this is when we had John Sanders on the program. I remember this one. I, I recorded it from a hotel room. I was out of town at the time. I'm talking to him in the bathroom, hoping that there's no like audio in the background. And I was on my phone. I had my phone rooted at the time so I could record phone conversations. That was pretty useful. I've since upgraded my phone. It's no longer rooted. I no longer can and take direct audio calls straight from source. But So that's a sad time. But the phone call went pretty good. John Sanders is a very nice guy. He's very informative, and he's talking about cognitive linguistics. How does language work? And he's got a new book out, and it's now in paperback. It's now on Kindle for fairly cheap, so we could all pick it up and read what he says about that. And that was in response to this uh, episode 125, which I also like. John Sanders talked to James White. And James White, he's kind of a blowhard. He's not a very nice guy. And John Sanders insisted on a, a kind of a face-to-face discussion rather than a debate. It wasn't a turn-based debate. And James White is coming off all hard, like rah rah rah, and, and John Sanders is all nice and calm. And James White, you kind of you kind of detect it in his progress in the debate where it's it's disarming. It's it's not the format he's used to. And I, I deconstruct that. I deconstruct James White's hit what he does in that debate, how he acts, his behavior, his arguments, and uh, we refute his points. He's got no points. The last episode I'm going to highlight is this episode 149, Counterproof Text. And what this is really a concept that I've pioneered. I don't think anyone else is really doing that. But it's where you take verses that are about someone other than God. Maybe it's about King David King David has all knowledge and, uh, you know, the king of Tyr knows all secrets of the heart. Verses that are not about God, about other people. But if those verses were about God, of course, Calvinists and negative theologians would turn to those verses and they would use them as proof texts. And they'd say, see, this is, endorses my uh, theology of uh, pure actuality, total omniscience, a past, present, future, and all detail. And it's just not about that. Just normal language. Normal language that they, they'll take different ways depending on who it is, which really shows the double standard in how they read verses. And it's bad. We shouldn't have double standards. We should approach the text, figure out possibilities and probabilities of meaning, and then and then look at it in context to see what's, what's the most probable. And from there, work out what our systematic theology is. And, and a lot of these people, these theologians, uh, Thomas Aquinas's of the world, they 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 want to have their theology and import it onto the Bible. They're just looking for proof texts to to reaffirm what they already believe in their hearts, and that's that's the wrong way to read the Bible. It's 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 not being true to the text. It's a little bit intellectually dishonest, if you ask me. We are going to conclude this podcast with a quick fun exercise, I guess. I haven't watched this entire video, but we'll go ahead and roll it. This is questions Christians have for other Christians, and it's like a BuzzFeed video, and, uh, you know, BuzzFeed's kind of kind of dumb, but, but we'll see what they say and see if we can't quickly respond to them in a timely fashion. This. Do you really think he's freaking out because his name is not on a cup that you get to hold for 10 minutes while you drink a pumpkin spice latte? 
All right. So may, I think this is in reference to some sort of like Starbucks campaign. And and from what I understand is that was kind of like a made up controversy. There's no Christians that I knew were actually boycotting Starbucks over that. I think just people on the Internet and media, they like to pretend things are big issues that are not. And so that's your answer. I've, I don't know anyone personally who boycotted Starbucks for that reason, for that reason. Why does Christian music always sound like a mixture of like Nickelback and Third Eye Blind? Uh, here, here, here's a good answer to that. So you know the names Third Eye Blind, you know the name Nickelback because they're popular. People like it. That music resonates to a wide audience. And so you and I, we might have uh, eclectic tastes. We might have very niche tastes where we like certain in, in indie type of music. And, you know, that's fine. That's good. But it doesn't resonate on a larger scale. So if you have a church like that, unless you're in a, some sort of metropo metropolis that could appeal to a niche audience and still get a significant following, that type of music's not going to sell well. It's not going to bring people to the church. People are, are going to be repulsed by by things they're unfamiliar with. People like familiar. People like this uh, repetitive, uh, this Nickelback tune. It's cringeworthy. People put that on their radio. And I understand I understand, but it resonates with the vast majority of people. So your subjective taste probably not the best thing to use for for guiding Christian music, where Christian music needs to go. Did your devotions actually happen if you didn't post about it on Instagram? I've never seen a devotion on Instagram, so maybe you're following some weird people. Judging from all of this that we're looking at, you probably do hang with a very very self-centered crowd who is very superficial so so i would say maybe in your circle it doesn't happen unless it's posted about on instagram in my circle the people i know no one posts on instagram they just do devotions and not tell anyone about it that's pretty common how come we all love tim tebow i mean i do love him i just don't know why well here's here's the reason why because tim tebow is a man you see him he's a football player He's buff, he does badly things, and he's an unashamed Christian. He'll get up there and talk about Christianity. He'll pray, he'll, he'll give glory to God, and the media just hates the guy. He hates the they they hate him. The media hates him. And so we love this. We love this manliness. It resonates with us. That's, that's who we want to be. We want to be the hero who stands up against the crippling society who wants to crush us and keep us down. And that's Tim Tebow, and that's what he stands for. That's why we love the guy. That's why a secularist leftists they hate the guy because he's standing up and he's the little guy. He's the underdog and he is rejecting their narrative. Why can't you just pray? Why does it have to be a prayer and then like someone in the background being like Yeah, how? <laughs> so, let's talk about that real quick. So, you're watching a movie and there's no background music. There's actually movies out there like this. There's a movie called Time of the Wolf. It's a post-apocalyptic foreign film. Uh, it's very, very niche taste. So you watch it, and there's no background music throughout the whole thing. There's an eerie vibe. Uh, we're not used to not having some sort of music to to tell us the mood, to to uh, get our emotional state in line with what's happening. And it's a very bleak movie. So what background music does is it allows us to connect with what's happening because human beings are audio, and we look for audio clues in order to tell us about the situations that we're experiencing. So putting background music during prayer gets people connected to the prayer. That gets people connected to God. It puts them in a spiritual state. That's why also we have worship music. 
uh, human beings love to worship. We love songs. We love audio. We love love getting into these uh, these rhythms, or we love this experience. Of course, that that's that's why we have it in the background. If you go to a small group, you're going to pray without background music, but in a larger setting, it's very effective at setting mood and tone. It gives people audio cues. How come everyone's still supporting Donald Trump? Why are we? <laughs> well, not everyone's supporting him, but there's the thing. The man's hilarious. Everything he does, uh, I just, it's just the most hilarious stuff I've ever seen. And it just triggers the leftists, the people who, who hate Christians and they hate all that's good and decent and all these, you know, uh, uh, it just triggers them to no end, and it's hilarious. Oh, hilarious. So a lot of Christians don't support Donald Trump. Let's get that straight. But the ones who do, it's because he stands up against uh, these people who have been belligerently abusing Christians for decades without any repercussion. He represents that everything that they're against, and they hate him. So it's more like a friend of my... Uh, an enemy of my enemy is my friend type of deal with Donald Trump. That's probably what you're seeing there, my friend. So afraid to talk about sex. Sex is good. Uh, well, I think this lady has ulterior motives, judging from everything we're seeing here. Let's keep playing her a little bit. Have you read Song of Solomon? How come? So I think she's looking just for an excuse to have a bunch of uh, premarital sex everywhere. But if you want to talk about sex, go find your nearest street preacher and they'll talk to you all about sex all day long. Just Google Jesse Morrell or, or uh, I don't know who else, the Reuben Israel. They'll tell you about sex. They'll talk about sex. They'll talk to you all day about sex, Miss, Miss Androgynous Lady. We all love Chick-fil-A. Why do you think? Well, because Chick-fil-A is extremely good. Facebook is an appropriate place to discuss theology. Why? Because <laughs> it gives you instant connection to people from all over the world that you would never have connection with otherwise. It allows you a written medium, a written quick response, a debate format where it's, it's, it's quick and fast paced, rapid pace, where you could get points, you could post links, you could share ideas within a wider audience. It's, it's an amazing forum. It's a forum. So just like any other theology forums, Facebook can be used in the same way. It's very useful, very specific, and it also takes out a lot of anonymity. So people, it's a lot harder. They, they like to log in with their real profiles and engage as a real person. And so it cuts down on a lot of fakeness. It does. So Facebook's an excellent place to engage in theology, politics, whatever. I've probably said things there that get me in trouble. I don't know. But... We'll see. When Paul said that we all have our own individual gifts, that we feel the need to fit into this absolutely perfect mold. Who feels like that? That's impossible. Why are we as Christians more known by the things we hate than by our acts of love? <laughs> well, because Christianity is not very tolerant of certain things like, like sin, you know? It's not something God enjoys, and, and God throughout uh, the Old Testament, he disposes the people of the land because they practice a whole list of sinful abominations. And the entire purpose of the Bible is to root out sin so people could live in a love relationship with God. So if you're just endorsing this sin and just uh, reaffirming people to live in sinfulness, you're leading to their destruction. So yeah. The things we should be outspoken about are the things that are going to separate people from God. 
So that's probably why. Why do you think Christianity and science are incompatible? <laughs> what? What? Uh, this sounds like someone who's never actually engaged a Christian on the issue and just heard everything like BuzzFeed and these guys like work for BuzzFeed or something. Uh, they, you, they've drank their own poison. Christi Christians don't think that they think that science is compatible with Christianity and they talk about things such as a dinosaur soft tissue, dinosaur DNA, which uh, old earth crowd will say, Oh, this could have never existed. It would have died out. Uh, hundreds of millions of years ago, we reject this soft tissue. We reject this dinosaur DNA until it comes out that, yeah, that is actual original biological tissue. So they have to come up with some sort of explanation for it. Oh, oh there's, there's iron in it. And the iron allowed the DNA to persist millions of years. And, uh, who, who's embracing science at this point? And who's just making up excuses to reaffirm their worldview? And so a lot of Christians I know endorse science, but they don't accept your conclusions from the evidence. You, what you're doing is not science. It's not interacting and dealing with actual problems in science. It's just saying that you like science and saying that anyone who disagrees with you doesn't like science. That's not science. That's not science. If anything, science makes God look a lot cooler. Why are you Again, you're delusional, lady. You're delusional. You're so adamant about exercising your religious freedoms, but then get so offended when people of other faith exercise their religious freedoms. <laughs> what are we talking about here? So who does what and when? Uh, the Muslim freedom to uh, kill their kid for honor killings? Maybe maybe their daughter didn't wear her, her job somewhere, and then they stone her to death. Uh, there were a bunch of ladies just, just recently executed in one of these Muslim countries because... They went on dates or whatever with, with young men. They were out of the same party. And so these women were killed. Is that exercising your faith? Is that something we should endorse as a free expression of religion? No. Christianity doesn't claim uh, universal tolerance for every aspect of every religion, and nor, nor should we. Nor should we. We should reject those practices which are evil. It, it's... That's what a good civilized society does is to reject evil practices. So I don't know what you're talking about, lady. Why do you feel like I have to constantly be preaching in order to be a good Christian? Is <laughs> Can you preach once? Maybe one time? Can you give, give a sermon about uh, what evil is and, and uh, you know, how Christians should act in response to this evil? Some sort of sermon. It's something to indicate you're a Christian. Something, anything, rather than just like a spiritualist who who thinks it's cool and trendy to be uh, a BuzzFeed Christian. Oh, it's so, I got my label. It makes me unique, who I am. Showing my friends love and grace, not allowed to just speak for itself. How come there's a church on every block, but for some reason we can't figure out a way to work together? <laughs> because people are inherently combative. That's why there are these the different churches, because people don't get along, and they think each other are heretics, and they don't agree on just basic things. You know, that's why. That's why. Why is there so much racism, sexism, and homophobia in the church? Galatians 3... <laughs> what? 28 says there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor male nor female. Nor butt sex or heterosexual sex. That's what he, that, that was the next line that's going to come out. Yeah, so what is she doing? She thinks this has any relevance to homosexuality. And the only reason she would say this is if she's thinking this is some sort of 
like uh, homosexuality is some sort of inherent trait inherent in our being. But what is the, you know, BuzzFeed, they talked just a little bit ago about being science deniers or whatever. Uh, what is the largest twin study ever conducted, say, about homosexuality, if it's genetic or not? There was a Swedish twin study, and they did, they did look at uh, sexual preferences of these twins. And I think they found between a 0 and 40% of the behavior of homosexual twins were linked to genetics. And the way they do this is they look at long-term outcomes of fraternal twins against identical twins. Identical twins have 100% DNA in common. Fraternal twins have 50. And so you could use this one as a control group for the other to figure out genetic effects. And there's there's like no genetic effects. It, it, does, it doesn't work out. It's not a genetic, it's, it's a learned behavior. It's a behavior that people engage in in their own free will. And so you're going to take that and you're going to equate it to being like a Gentile or a Jew. No, no, it doesn't work like that. For all one in Christ Jesus. So doesn't that pretty much tell you that none of that stuff matters? Why? <laughs> Why, when the main message of the Bible is to love one another, that we choose to do the opposite? That's the main message of the Bible. Hey guys, you read your Bible. The main message is love one another. Okay, that, that was, Jesus said that, the primary commands was love God and love your neighbor. Love God was number one, actually. The main message of the Bible was love God. And how do you do that? Do you just do that through, uh, you know, modern love where it's like, oh, everything's acceptable. We love everything. If you want to commit suicide, go commit suicide. If you want to have sex with animals, bestiality, it's all good. Everyone just lives their own life. We love, we love. It's not how it works. It's not how it works. Sometimes there's something known as tough love. And uh, that's legitimate, but you're going to reject that. You're going to reject that. So you got your own categories in your mind when you're asking this question. They're not biblical categories. How come when we talk about men having several wives in the Old Testament, we say cultural context, but then when we talk about marriage today, it's strictly one man and one woman. Why yeah, that's a good point. And how the Old Testament actually works is not that polygamy was encouraged. It was tolerated. It was tolerated. And uh, it wasn't the ideal. You, you got a difference between the ideal of what life should be, of uh, how, how marriages should be, and then you have deviations from the ideal. And polygamy was one of those deviations. And it wasn't outright banned or condemned in the Old Testament. Yeah, it's true. But I, I don't know what point you're trying to make today that like homosexual marriage is, is the equivalent to polygamy. It's not. That, that was definitely illegal in the Old Testament. Why does having a diverse group of friends make me less Christian? Why does the church... <laughs> well, it depends who your diverse group of friends are. Church, does the church consider LGBT Christians as less than? I probably because there's specific commands in the Bible against those activities. That's probably why. I don't remember there being a demographic of people that Jesus saw as less than. You know... <laughs> What about the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees and the scribes and the law teachers and even calling Gentiles dogs if we really want to break into it? Jesus' primary message was not but to the lost sheep of Israel. And the Gentile woman approaches him. He's like, yeah, we're not going to give uh, stuff to the dogs. Right? Right? Is that what Jesus did? Or do you got a different Jesus in mind? Oh, all that grace and forgiveness and love we've all received. How come we can't find a way that extend that to other people? Why? Okay, we can. Why do you feel like love the sinner and hate the sin is an okay thing to say? You realize that's condescending and still separating them as an other, right? <laughs> what? 
what is this what is this objection we can't treat people as others if they're sinners so you're gonna like invite child molesters into your house without any any sort of filter like oh come in and and then you get raped and killed like uh you know uh there's just a south african story where where a, a farmer had invited refugees into his house and they ended up killing and disowning his family from the farm is that a great thing to do why do you think you can judge my relationship with god off of a handful of statements you <laughs> because by by their fruits you'll know their works and so that's why you get mad at me for not being able to back up what i have to say but you end up taking scripture out of context so many times Oh, you got to post examples. You can't just throw these statements out there because the context actually has to be examined in order to know if what you're saying is accurate, if you have a point or if they have a point against you. What makes you decide what makes me a good Christian? Because <laughs> we all have perceptions and we all have uh, a basis in uh, biblical knowledge. And, you know, some Christians are wrong. Some Christians go off the handle. But why are you taking us so personally, Miss Random Lady on the Internet? Uh, you need to, you need to man up. Last I checked, everyone's relationship with God is personal. In the end, the grand message here is that you're supposed to love one another. And I'm sorry if I sound like a Hallmark after school special. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Yeah, right on the nose. You got it. But it's the truth. Do you really think he's freaking? <laughs> All right. So questions for Christians. Well, we just skimmed through that. I don't know. Maybe this... Everyone will be mad at this episode, but I thought it was a little bit of funny. Uh, these these bud, buzz, BuzzFeed Christians, that's a, that's a new brand of Christianity. These uh, silly people who are lost in their millennialism. Alrighty, uh, that will be it for this episode. Any questions, send to godisopenquestions at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.